You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, A new DS relationship model just dropped for use and a mini sex panic dropped with it. Okay, first, what is free use? It's a kink that falls under the CNC umbrella, CNC, consensual non-consent. In a free use relationship, the sub agrees to always be available for sex. The dom is free to use the sub sexually at any time and the sub can't say no because the sub said yes to never saying no. That's how it works in theory, or as with so many kinks, that's how it works when people fantasize about it or dirty talk about it. And thanks to social media, fantasies and dirty talk are no longer restricted to the bedroom or the playroom or the backseat or to the people within earshot. Kinky people, some of them, not all of them, some of them like to show off on social media, which can be good. Normalizing kinks can help people feel less ashamed of their own kinks, but Everyone being open about kinks does rob kink of its power, which is fueled by the tension between who we pretend to be in public and who we are in private. Normalizing kinks can help some people feel less ashamed of their kinks or discover their kinks and then enjoy their kinks and the connections their kinks can bring into their lives. But everybody being open about their kinks all over social media can rob kink of its dark power, which is fueled by the tension between who we pretend to be in public and who we are in private. But you know what? That's for another day. What I want to talk about today are the videos. Women in free use relationships or women who want to be in free use relationships have been posting videos to TikTok. And people are concerned because these videos are all over TikTok and girls and young women are all over TikTok. And people are worried that young women are going to stumble over fantasy depictions and or dirty talk about free use relationships and want to be in them. And the videos, which aren't designed to be educational, don't give a very complete or nuanced picture of how healthy DS dynamics work or how they're negotiated. As Magdalene Taylor wrote in Vice last week, one partner in a free use relationship has the liberty to initiate sex without asking and without foreplay. Like most other kinks, how exactly this arrangement plays out will depend on the interests and boundaries of those participating. And people who practice it often establish certain restrictions and both parties retain their right to deny the other for whatever reason. That's in a long article advice. People don't include those caveats and that kind of nuance in horny TikTok videos because it makes them less horny, the person posting the video and the video. Just like people in other forms of DS get turned on by pretending they're doing it, Whatever it is, 24-7, 365, that means 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Women are posting videos to TikTok that include the free use part, but not the restrictions or noting they can actually refuse. In her Vice piece last week, Taylor quoted a tweet that went viral, condemning and confronting the free use TikTokers. The yassification of rape, ask yourself why you want this, please. Question wasn't put to me. I'm not in a free use relationship, more like a please use relationship, or it's been a while since we've used each other relationship. Let's schedule some use. But I'm going to take a stab at answering this question anyway. Free use 
taps into, or as the kids on TikTok might say, it vibes with two enormous cultural forces that shape, or if you prefer, that warp our erotic imaginations. Fear of male sexual violence, shame about our own desires. Ravishment fantasies are very common among women. We eroticize our fears. Ravishment fantasies are kind of an erotic coping mechanism. One way some of us, mostly women, but not always women, react to or process our completely rational fear of male sexual violence. And when we act on our fantasies with people we chose, we're in control, even if the fantasy itself is about control being taken from us. Now, the difficulty most people have when they even think about realizing a ravishment fantasy is finding someone they can trust to ravish them in precisely the way they would like to be ravished. Reuse is about being ravished, and who better and safer, at least in theory, to give up that kind of control to than a presumably trusted, committed, romantic partner. And on another level, free use absolves the person being used of responsibility for how they're being used. You aren't choosing to do these dirty things. Someone is doing them to you. The responsibility is theirs. The person who tweeted that question out to the free use TikTokers, why do you want this? They don't get it. But ladies, I get it. Women grow up being slut-shamed by men, but also by women, and women internalize that slut-shaming. So when you're young and horny and female, you want to do all these slutty things, but you don't want to be a slut. Homophobia puts a very similar zap on the heads of young gay men. We're young and we're gay and we're horny and we want to do all the gay things without being a gay because we've internalized homophobic voices in the same way so many women have internalized slut-shaming voices. You know, doing a deep dive into the free use discourse, I was surprised not to see the original free use advocate come up during all these conversations about the potential harm free use TikTokers might be doing to young women and girls. The original free use advocate starred in a reality show that ran on TLC for seven seasons and is the subject of an alarming new documentary you can watch right now on Amazon Prime called Shiny Happy People that details the harm this particular free use advocate with an enormous platform did to her own girls, her own daughters. I'm talking, of course, about Michelle Duggar and 19 and Counting and a million people on Us Magazine covers. In 2015, Michelle Duggar, the matriarch of the Duggar family, as she's always described, famously wrote in a blog post about the advice she was giving her own daughters as their weddings approached, that a wife had to be, quote, joyfully available to her husband at all times, no matter the circumstances. Smile and be willing to say, yes, sweetie, I am here for you no matter what, Duggar writes, even though you may be exhausted and big pregnant and you may not feel like it. Today's Christian woman, been a subscriber forever, never miss an issue, wrote a big think piece. As Vice was to free use TikTokers last week, today's Christian woman was to free use Michelle Duggar in 2015. Julie Slattery wrote the piece, which was headlined, Do Wives Always Have to Say Yes to Sex? You may be familiar with Betteridge's law of headlines that states any headline that ends in a question mark can be answered by the word no. But Slattery keeps us guessing for a thousand words at least before giving us the answer, which is no. Illnesses, serious unresolved conflict, or abusive patterns are good examples of when a wife might say no to her husband 
Slattery writes, adding, while I don't think we should automatically say yes to every invitation to have sex, I do believe we should say yes to every invitation to work on sexual intimacy. Not being allowed to say no. Some people, like Michelle Duggar, frame it as a pious wife's duties. Others, like the free-use TikTokers, frame it as a kink. Unsurprisingly, I think the kink framing is healthier. When free use is framed as a religious responsibility, as a duty, when it's framed as something God requires of women, of wives, that's clearly about domination and control. When properly framed and understood as a kink, as something a woman might choose for herself, it's not about domination or control at all. It's about freedom and pleasure. Does it belong on TikTok? Maybe not. But the Duggars, they didn't belong on TV, and there they were. All right, Magnum Subs, Savage Love Live, my Zoom show where I answer your questions live and hang out with Nancy and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth is next Thursday, August 31st at 12 noon Pacific. Want to join in the fun? Grab a Magnum Sub now for just eight bucks at savage.love slash subscribe. Be my sub, you know you wanna. And coming up on today's show, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and joining me on the Magnum Savage Lovecast journalist, author, and substacker Jill Filipovich is here to talk about her new piece on trigger warnings in the Atlantic and try her hand at giving a little sex advice. All that coming up on today's show. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the makers of my mattress and your next mattress. In honor of Labor Day, Helix is offering 25% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com savage and use the code HELIXPARTNER25. This is their best offer yet. It won't last long. Go get your new mattress. With Helix, better sleep starts now. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, the very best tool for trimming your body hair. Go to meridiangrooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. Hey, Dan, you got a question from a commitment phobe. Trying to figure out why I could just never seem to commit. I'm in my mid-30s. I've only had really one serious, quote, long-term relationship, end quote, which is for about a year in my life, and I've just always bounced around. And... I seem to have this pattern where I like meet someone. It's really great. There's an NRE going on, but then like slowly, but surely within a few months, I start to like nitpick and find like reasons that in the moment seem valid to me to break up with the person. And then I break up with them. And then I'm like, oftentimes I look back and I regret doing it. And I realize oh, that was a dumb reason or I should have just communicated with them about it or whatever. But it's like this cycle where it just keeps happening. I keep meeting people, seems good, and then I just always find some reason to, like, get out. And I know you talked about, like, some people are just, like, you know, wired to have, you know, serious to short-term relationships. And if that fulfills them, then fine. But for me, I really do want a long-term relationship. I want to get married. I want to have a family. Again, I'm in my mid-30s, so I'm, you know, definitely starting to think about that kind of stuff. But I just, like, cannot seem to break the cycle. You know, I'm dating someone right now. Things are pretty good. You know, the sex could be maybe better, but, you know, we, we only had sex a couple times, so you know, we'll see where it goes. But, you know, even here, I'm already, like, starting to find, like, reasons. Like, oh, you know, maybe she's not as kinky as I would like. Maybe, oh, she, you know, wants to use condoms. I don't, I don't like condoms. Like, whatever. I'm just making up these reasons. And so far, rather than revert to my norm where I'm just, like, breaking up, I'm sticking it out and, like, continuing to see her. But I can't stop having these thoughts where I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I should look for someone else. So you have commitment issues. 
it might help for you to think about what it is you believe you are committing to if you were to stay in a relationship for the long term, if you were to marry someone and have a family with that woman. A lot of people who are phobic about commitment, who are reluctant to commit, are reluctant to commit to this idea they have of what a commitment means or should mean or must mean or will mean based on the expectations of the person they happen to be dating at any given time. And you can change those settings. You can adjust those dials. If you're afraid to commit, because that's going to mean the end of variety, new relationship energy, new experiences, getting to explore certain kinks that your partner is not into, well, find a partner that you don't have to make a monogamous commitment to. Make that a condition of the commitment that you might make to someone, that it would be a non-exclusive commitment. If your idea of family is fucking house in the suburbs and two people, a man and a woman raising their kids together in that kind of isolation, well, you can throw that over the side too. You can get two apartments in the same building and have a couple of kids who run back and forth between mom and dad's apartments and mom and dad are married and they're together, but they still have some autonomy. They even have privacy from each other and maybe they're not monogamous and sometimes they have dates over when the kids are at the other person's apartment. You can design a family life that you're less afraid to commit to because you would be sacrificing less or giving up less of what you enjoy about your life as it exists now. If you can wrap your head around a non-monogamous commitment, so there's still room for variety and new experiences and NRE with new people and all the kinks you'd like to explore that your partner's not interested in, and you can wrap your head around building your family in a way and having your kids and raising your kids in a way that is more appealing to you than the idea that we all have in our heads about what family and kids must look like. And you still don't want to commit to anybody. You still don't want to be in a relationship. You still find yourself every time you enter into a new relationship, just scanning that person and scrutinizing them for the reasons why it won't work out over the long term. All right, then just admit that an LTR isn't something that you, judged by your behavior, by your actions, isn't something that you want. Maybe it's something that on some level you've been convinced you should want, that a good person does want. And maybe there are some parts of commitment and family life and kids and the suburbs and monogamy that in theory, on principle, appeal to you. But in reality, based on your behavior, track record, your history, and the way you're acting in this relationship you just got into, not for you. And that's okay. The problem with brasexuals, the problem with commitment phobes is when they keep trying, when they lie to people and mislead them and convince themselves and then convince somebody else, their latest victim, that maybe with them it's going to be different when you know if you've reached the age you're at, that probably not, probably not going to be different this time. So don't make promises you can't keep. And get out in front of reasonable assumptions that another person might have. You know, if you're 30-something, 40-something and single and dating and you don't say to someone that you're not interested in a long-term commitment, you're not interested in getting married or having kids, they might reasonably assume that you're at least entertaining commitment kids, because that's what most people your age who are out there dating are at the very least entertaining. And if you're not entertaining it, don't leverage someone's reasonable assumptions about 
what your intent likely is against them to get in their pants, get out in front of it and tell them, hey, I am only interested in short-term relationships and romances and I'm available to you now. Let's enjoy this time together, but not going to be something forever. And then who knows? You might be with a brand new person after discarding the last brand new person, still in the NRE stage, excited about seeing them, excited about fucking them, and you'll get struck by lightning and you'll die partnered, which is how people win. Hey, Dan, what is the appropriate response for an atheist with a good person who holds a sincere religious belief ask the atheist to pray for them? I live in a small town with lots of good people who, who, who believe in the Christ of the Beatitudes, who, who, who believe in religion and are good people, and sometimes they'll say, pray for me, I have a hard test coming up. Pray for me, I have a hard review coming up. I am an atheist. What is the appropriate thing as an atheist to say to a, a good person of faith? As an atheist, when someone asks me to pray for them, my response has always been, I will keep you in my thoughts because that's what I do. I will think about you. I will, I'm a worst case scenario disorder sufferer. I worry about everything. I feel like my stress and anxiety holds up the sky. So it's not a small thing when I tell someone that I will keep them in my thoughts or you are in my thoughts. It is how an atheist prays. And I don't think at a moment that someone tells you, about something trivial, like a review coming up at work or a test they have to pass or something serious, like a cancer diagnosis or a death in the family. I don't think that's the right moment to pivot to a conversation about whether God exists or to center your atheism. I think that is a moment where you just love someone and you are kind to someone and you don't lie to them. You don't have to lie. You don't have to say, I will pray for you. You say, I will keep you in my thoughts. Prayers are how religious people tend to organize their thoughts. Thoughts are how atheists tend to organize or ship or frame what are atheist prayers. And that's really all you have to say. It's not a lie. It's not telling someone you'll pray for them. You're telling someone that you will think about them. That's what I've always done. My very religious mama eventually would call me and say, Keep me in your thoughts or keep so-and-so in your thoughts. You'll get there with the important people in your life who happen to be religious. They will understand that when they want your prayers, they're going to come in the thought box. And that's what they will ask for eventually. But yeah, don't, don't yell at people. Don't confront people. That's the wrong moment. Just, I'll keep you in my thoughts. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep because with all you learn listening to this show, you're going to need the very best mattress to try it out on. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix lineup offers 14 unique mattresses, including a new collection of six luxury models called Helix Elite. These mattresses are loaded up with super high-tech features like a built-in cooling cover, comfort layers tailored to sleeping position and firmness preferences, thousands of 
coils that provide support and pressure relief, and a superior support system with lumbar support and edge reinforcement. Every Helix Elite mattress comes with a 15-year manufacturer's warranty and the same 100-night sleep trial as all of Helix's great mattresses. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz to find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and your personalized mattress will be shipped straight to your door free of charge. Terry and I really love our Midnight Lux mattress, and with their 100-night sleep trial, you can try out your new Helix mattress, see how your body adjusts, and if you decide it's not the best fit, you're welcome to return it for a full refund. And in honor of Labor Day, Helix is offering 25% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com savage and use code HELIXPARTNER25. This is their best offer yet. It won't last long. Get your new mattress. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hi, Dan. I am a 54-year-old male calling from Chicago. I'm gay. I have a 28-year-old son that's been on his own for uh, for a bit now, and we have a really good relationship. We hang out quite a bit, but that seems to be a bit of the problem lately. So he just moved really close to me. So unlike before, I get to see him quite often, and that's great. But uh, the dilemma is that my partner and I, which we don't live together, but we have an open relationship and he loves my partner and they have a really great relationship too, which is great. But sometimes I have other folks over and, you know, I'm kind of afraid that my son is going to pop by at any moment. Or there's been times that I knew he was going to pop by and I had to cancel a play date. He doesn't know that my partner and I are open. So I guess my question is, is that something that I should reveal and discuss with him? I mean, I think he's mature enough to handle that. And I don't think that he would especially be grossed out about it. But I don't know. I just want to handle it properly with him. And to begin with, I'm not even sure if that's the kind of conversation that I should be having with my son. This clears the need to know bar. I think you should have a conversation with your son about the fact that you and your partner that you don't live with are in an open relationship. And you should tell your son, look, I wouldn't be bringing this up. Wouldn't even have to mention it if you still lived far away, if you didn't live close by, if you weren't popping in randomly. But I just want to get out in front of any awkwardness. I don't want you to find yourself in a position where you think I'm doing something wrong or my boyfriend's doing something wrong. We are in an open relationship. And then you can stop. You don't have to say anything else. I'm sure your son will be grateful when you stop and you say nothing else. You're not sharing intimate details about the kind of sex you enjoy. You are talking about the structure of the relationship that you're in and wanting to give your son some relevant information so that he doesn't, I mean, if he was a little kid, feel insecure about, you know, mom and dad or dad and dad breaking up, but he's an older kid doesn't live with you, isn't dependent on you, but you don't want him to think ill of you. You don't want him to see something, hear something, find something out and think you're cheating. And if he has a relationship with your partner that you don't live with, that they hang out sometime, you don't want him to think that you're burdening him with having to lie to your partner for you or help you cover up evidence of your cheating when it's not cheating. So yeah, when we talk about parents and children, uh, I like to emphasize the need to know standard. 
There are things your parents have a right not to know. There are things your parents don't need to know. We run our parents on a need-to-know basis. We also, as adult sexually active people with grown children, we should run our children on a need-to-know basis too. You're in an open relationship. Your son lives nearby. He sometimes pops over randomly. He needs to know that. You should tell him. What you do with those other guys on those play dates, TMI, he doesn't need to know that. Don't tell him any of that. Not that you hinted at wanting to tell him any of that. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, my new favorite tool for shaving down there. Meridian offers powerful trimmers that cut through even the coarsest hair, but their trimmers are gentle enough for your privates. You'll enjoy a comfortable shave below the belt with no nicks, cuts, or ingrowns. Meridian trimmers are for men, they're for women, they're for non-binary folks, and they're for any style, whether you prefer completely bare, neatly trimmed scruff, or a well-rounded bush. This high-quality waterproof trimmer is fitted with a 6,000 RPM motor, safe ceramic blades, and an anti-nick shaving guard. And Meridian has so many happy customers, over 1,000 five-star reviews online. With the Meridian trimmer, you can get your body hair looking just how you like it and feel good and sexy with your fuzz. Get a Meridian trimmer today for the ultimate trimming experience without the pain, discomfort, or awkwardness. Order now and take control of your grooming routine on your own terms. Listeners of the Savage Lovecast get an extra 15% off your order using the coupon code SAVAGE. Go to M-E-R-I-D-I-A-N grooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. You deserve a better and safer below-the-belt trimming experience, and with Meridian Trimmer, you can get one today. Hey, Dan, I got a question for you. I'm a uh, gay man in a long-term relationship that's uh, lasted 24 years now. My husband and I have been married for most of that time. A couple years ago, we opened up our marriage, and originally it was just an open marriage, but now it's an open poly marriage, as we both have uh, two very serious boyfriends. Not, I mean, our, our closer circle of friends were very open about these changes in our marriage with, but not so much with family and, well, I'll be honest, straight friends. Uh, well, last weekend, my husband and his boyfriend were going to an open-air drag show uh, during the day, um, as it was Pride here in my city, and my husband ran into kind of an old friend, this woman that I work with, this woman who married a roommate of mine. So, you know, we're family friends. We never really see each other, even though we live very close by. We just don't run in the same circles anymore. But I know that when she saw my husband and his boyfriend, she's very shocked and just said nothing and turned away and just bolted. Here's my question. Do I owe her some kind of message or explanation? Because I don't want her thinking that there are shenanigans going on. I don't want her unnecessarily burdened thinking that I'm being cheated on. Do I owe her anything? Or do I just chalk it up to the fact that she'll probably figure it out? Or do I chalk it up to the fact that it's probably none of her business anyway? Well, there are shenanigans going on here, at least so far as most heterosexual people, most straight couples are concerned. Most gay couples, of course, are open or have some sort of arrangement about outside sexual contact. When the relationship is open, where you sometimes have sex with other people, but you don't have relationships with other people, you may not need to get in front of that and come out to family and friends about the fact that you're poly now. But once you've acquired boyfriends, once you're in relationships 
with other people. As you and your husband and your husband's boyfriend recently had emphasized for you, relationships have a public facing component. They went to that drag show together as romantic partners and they conducted themselves at that drag show in such a way, in such a manner that they would be perceived as romantic partners by strangers who could give a fuck by casual observers, but also you run the risk in the community where you live of them being seen comporting themselves in public as romantic partners by friends, neighbors, coworkers, people that know you're married and are making assumptions about you being married and monogamous because that's the assumption that people make. Even a lot of gay people make that assumption about other gay people when statistically we know that that's just not a sound assumption to make about same-sex, at least male couples. And so you've scandalized this person. She bolted. She didn't know what to do. She probably hoped your husband didn't realize that she'd seen him and didn't want to make him feel like he'd gotten caught or that might get, you know, he might get ratted out because she assumes there's something that he could get ratted out for. So what do you do? It's an awkward situation. You're just going to have to give her a call. As awkward as that sounds, leaving things as they stand with this poor woman out there looking at her phone, thinking about her phone in her pocket and wondering what, if anything, she should or is obligated as a friend to say to you. This comes up in straight land. Somebody sees somebody else's husband or wife in an opposite sex marriage in public canoodling. And then you're, if you don't rat them out, you're complicit in the affair and you have contributed in some way to the humiliation of the cheated on spouse when it all comes out, not just that this was happening, but lots of people in the community knew because the spouse who was cheating wasn't being discreet. Your spouse isn't being discreet because you're not cheating. One would hope people could put those two things together when it comes to a gay male couple that, oh, canoodling in public with somebody who's not his husband, probably not cheating on his husband, probably open. This is allowed in their relationship. Not the assumption this woman made since she ran at the site. So give her a call or engineer running into her. If she's got a job where if you drop by, you will see her drop by and see her and apologize for the awkward position that she found herself in and let her know that you're not being cheated on, that nobody's being lied to, that your husband has a boyfriend and that's fine and that you have a boyfriend and that's fine too. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. Couple in our late 40s, early 50s, opened up our relationship six months ago, and it's been fascinating and interesting and amazing. And it seems to be all that we can think about and talk about in a great way for us, but we're not sort of socially out. So the question is, how do we talk to people in our lives like family and friends that we're not socially out to when all we can think and talk about is our open relationship and our people we're connected to through that and what's going on with it. It makes us feel so boring and dull to everyone in the world, although we're sort of hiding this exciting and fascinating thing about ourselves. Any advice? Yeah, I could see how this would be a problem. There is not a lot to talk about at this moment in time, politically, culturally. 
other than our interpersonal relationships, our sex lives and how we organize them. It's not like there are any world historical events playing out, no land wars in Europe, no hit movies about iconic childhood toys, no former presidents being indicted for the fourth fucking time. There's lots to talk about that's not you and the wife and who you're fucking or not fucking or why. That may be all you two can talk about with each other right now. I know how this feels. I know where you're at. I know how all-consuming this conversation can be early on after opening up a relationship, then again after a relationship once open may become poly or open to poly, open to romantic relationships with other people. Uh, one of the things Terry and I said to each other when we were going through this, you know, two decades and change into our relationship was at least we're not bored. We have plenty to talk about in our relationship. We had things to hash out and process. And even when we were in conflict about it, one of us would look at the other and say, well, at least we're not bored. A lot of couples uh, that have been together as long as we have are silently sitting in a room together wondering which one will die first. We had lots to talk about, but we didn't talk about that stuff necessarily with other people because there were lots of other stuff to talk about. This is all consuming for you guys and fascinating for you guys, but there's lots to talk about when you see friends and family that you may not need to talk about this with yet. Maybe if you guys become poly and you have other girlfriends or boyfriends, other relationships, you'll want those people to be there for family events, be there for Christmas and holidays, those public facing elements of relationships. And then you'll have to talk about this stuff to the extent that your family is interested in hearing about it. And they might not be interested in hearing as much about it as you two have heard about it from each other. They'll just need the facts. But yeah, if you can't find anything else to talk about with your family right now, besides your sex life, besides your marriage, it's because you aren't trying. It's because you don't want to talk about anything else. Hello, Dan. I'm a 34-year-old lesbian living in Northern Ireland. I came out when I was really young. It was very, very hard uh, school-wise and, and around where I lived. But I managed to get through it and I made a load of lesbian friends in the local gay bar. And recently, me and two of my friends had a kind of disagreement, middle an argument really, about marriage. Because I've, I've met the love of my life and we really want to get married soon. And I want the big white wedding. In a way, I want the two-way dresses. I want the first dance. I want all of that cheesy stuff you see in films. I want it. But my friends are very averse to marriage. They're telling me it's a very heteronormative thing to want and very street thing to want. And that's what kind of street people would want you to do and to fight against that. And I don't know, it's just something I wanted since I was a little girl and I never thought that I would be able to have it. I never thought that it would be legal in my country. And we fought really hard to get it legalised, me and so many people around me. We fought hard for years. So the idea that I can just get married, is kind of amazing to me. But my question is, am I being a sellout uh, if I want to do the big white wedding? I don't know, should I have an alternative wedding? Should I not have a wedding at all? Should I just elope? I'm not sure. Maybe it's a generational thing between us. Between most of my friends, there's about 15 years of an age gap. and I don't know. I just really would like to hear some advice. Have the wedding you want to have. 
if you have some younger friends or if you have any friends or family who are going to give you grief about the kind of wedding you want to have, they don't have to come. You don't have to invite them. If people have expressed to you in advance reservations, criticisms have gotten on your case about the wedding that you're going to have and you want to spare yourself the anxiety of knowing that they're sitting there judging you during your wedding or looking daggers at you, you don't have to fucking invite them to your wedding. They don't have to be there. They don't have to come. Look, weddings are fantasies. Weddings are little fantasias, Broadway floor shows of our love. They're a theatrical production and we get to shape them in such a way that is meaningful to each of us as individuals and to the two people as a couple who are getting married and if having a white dress and being walked down the aisle by your parents and that meaning for you, not that your father owns you and you are property and your father is giving you away and passing you off, but that you as a lesbian are loved and supported by your parents to the point that your parents will walk down the aisle with you in a church or a town hall and walk you to the altar or to the front and greet the woman that you're going to marry. If that's what that means and signifies to you, well, that is what it can mean to you. And your friends can go fuck themselves. And I'm sorry, your 20-something friends who are sneering at marriage right now are highly likely in a decade or two to see the value of marriage and wish to marry themselves, but they are young people. And so now they sneer. But what they have is the option to marry or not marry. All queers used to not have an option when it came to marriage. None of us we're allowed to marry. And that is why we fought for the right to marry. And the right to marry wasn't about wedding dresses and cakes and a glamorous party, although it can be about that. What weddings were for queer people and what they're crucially important for, as we learned during the HIV AIDS epidemic, when you marry someone, you make that person your immediate next of kin. You make them legally into the most important member of your family, the family that you have created. When we as queer people were denied, and we as queer people are still denied this power in many places, but when in the United States, when in Ireland, we as queer people were denied that power, we were vulnerable in the face of homophobic family members. Homophobic family members that we were estranged from could show up in hospital rooms, could show up after the death of a gay or lesbian person and throw out a partner, have a partner removed from a hospital room during a medical crisis who had been there for the person that was their spouse in all but legal name, have that person thrown out and have that person evicted from the apartment that they shared. Tremendous social, emotional, and yes, financial violence was done to gay and lesbian and bi people who could not avail themselves of the right to marry, the rights of marriage. It's not about a dress. It's about a power, the power to create your own family. Queer people, I'm sure your young queer friends, understand what chosen family means. Well, what marriage means is that one member of your chosen family, that there's legal 
power, legal recognition, state recognition of that relationship. And for queer people, that is however you decide to get married. You want to have a big traditional-ish looking wedding. You want to have a crazy alternative wedding where everybody comes dressed up as pirates. Whatever the fuck you want to do, that power, the transformative power at the core of that wedding, that's what we fought for. Everything else is just show tunes and production values and sets and costumes. But those things mean things to different people. Those particular sets, those particular costumes, those particular rituals. And if it means something to you to have a big wedding, to wear the white dress, to walk down the aisle with your dad, do it. And anyone who tells you that you mean something to them, that they love you, that they're your friends, that they support you, who can't show up at your wedding and be happy for you, that you get to have that wedding and get to have that wedding the way you want to have your wedding, isn't your fucking friend and doesn't deserve that invitation. But your friends are entitled to their opinions. They can say, uh, not the kind of wedding I would have. And you should be able to hear that as an adult and invite them to the kind of wedding that you want to have for you and your fiance. And it's their job to show up and be happy for you. It's your family of origin's job to show up and be happy for you. And if they can't show up and be happy for you, tell them they can fuck off. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old woman. I've been in a relationship with my partner for three years, and we were close friends for years before we started dating. Last year, on our two-year anniversary, he proposed to me. He planned a big surprise proposal that was not properly thought through. I ended up being furious with him that day, but he still proposed anyway. This proposal was also poorly timed amidst many other huge life changes, not to mention that we had never even really discussed getting married. We had never talked about our relationship to marriage or what it would mean to us, or even really how my parents' ugly divorce has affected me. I said yes during this disaster proposal, maybe because of people-pleasing impulses, but also because though he is an idiot and really screwed this whole thing up, he is the love of my life and I have no problem committing to him. But now that I'm facing the reality of marriage, I'm experiencing so many repulsed feelings that I didn't know that I had about the institution. And he wants to have a big party and do it kind of traditionally. I don't wear rings. The word fiance is annoying, though he feels kind of hurt when I don't use it. I don't want to plan a party, though we've taken no steps to make anything happen yet. I don't want to tell my awful engagement story. I don't want to pay for an expensive party where both of my parents will be in the same room. I know that we could elope, though he's opposed to that idea. But even so, I feel like I really don't understand what I have to gain by signing the paper. So my question is, why do people get married? Is it really just for health insurance? Does anyone ever actually check for this documentation? Is there something that I'm missing here? Am I just traumatized from my proposal or my parents' divorce? This seems like something that I shouldn't feel ambivalent about. At moments like this, when I hear a call like yours, I always think of Henry IV of France, who famously said when he converted from Protestantism to Catholicism to become king of France, had to be a Catholic, Paris is worth a mass. All right, you need to look at your, I'm just going to use the F word here, you need to look at your fiancé and ask yourself, is he worth the wedding that he wants? 
And if he is, well, maybe you give it to him. Poor Henry IV, Catholic. King of France had to be Catholic every goddamn day for the rest of his goddamn life. And back then that involved going to mass a lot. You just have to go to a wedding on one day and you can agree to the wedding and then you can begin to shape the wedding. And I think your boyfriend, you're not going to use the F word again. I'm going to spare you should be willing to do most, if not all of the work, because this is what he wants. And you should just like a lot of grooms, Throughout the 20th century, you should just show the fuck up at the wedding that your boyfriend planned, pulled together with your input. What do you want your wedding to look like? What don't you want your wedding to look like? How can you make it as minimally invasive a procedure as possible for you? As to why people get married, well, people get married because they wanna. People get married because they want to choose their immediate next of kin. They want to form a new family. Some people get married just for logistical financial reasons, for the health insurance. You say you want to be with him for life. You want to commit to him. Okay. For some people, that commitment means marriage or marriage is a way of signaling that commitment to others. It's also a way of cementing that commitment in place. Of course, you can end a marriage. People get divorced all the time. Getting divorced is an enormous pain in the ass. I think one of the reasons a lot of people get married is so that if they reach a kind of relationship extinction level event some point down the road, 5, 10, 15 years into that marriage, just the bother and hassle and publicness of divorce might give them pause, might Make them think about it. Work on it a little bit harder. I don't think getting married means you can never end a marriage or leave a marriage. People do all the time. But people do, when faced with the nightmare that is divorce, they do sometimes do the work on the relationship and then come out on the other side and they're glad that they are still married, that they are still with their partner. And they look back on the high hurdle that a legal divorce created and of course that high hurdle of legal divorce was created by legal marriage. And they're grateful that what that would have taken motivated them to get their asses into couples counseling first. Now, some people get their asses into couples counseling and negotiate the end of the marriage and hopefully have a more amicable split. But a lot of people get into couples counseling and work on that marriage and save it and are glad for it. I think that's one of the reasons people get married is not for the party, not for the good stuff, but in a way for the pause you're going to take when it's really bad and the work you might be willing to do when it's bad to make it better and stay together. But if you dread inviting your parents, if that just dredges up a lot of awful emotional shit for you, you don't have to invite your fucking parents. You can have a smaller party. You can have a, people have Friendsgivings without immediate family members. You can have a friend's wedding where it's just you and people who mean something to you that you will enjoy spending a day with. You don't have to invite your mom and dad. You also didn't have to say yes after your boyfriend proposed in a public way that you found mortifying, but it doesn't sound like you don't want to be with him. It doesn't sound like you agreed to marry someone and you're desperate to get the fuck away from that person. You agreed to marry someone. Marriage means something to him. Just like having a Catholic king meant something to the French in the 17th century. So what are you going to do? Is he worth a mass? 
because we're the mass give him his fucking mass and then he can find a million ways to make it up to you and i hope he already does find a million ways to give you the things that you want from him from a relationship maybe you give him this in as minimally invasive a way as possible a wedding that clears the wedding bar for him but the bar is set low enough for you around ritual and performance and invite lists and agitas and scheduling and money wasted that you feel good about giving this to him. That's the sweet spot. That's what you two have to come to in negotiation. Good luck. All right. Before we get to this week's listener response calls, I wanted to share a couple of the comments left on last week's show at savage.love. Says inspired desires for the possibly bisexual, possibly heteroromantic guy. Look into the bicycle. People's desires ebb and fade, and it's extremely common for bi people to be more or less attracted to one gender at one time or another. Doesn't make you any less bisexual. Says Blairsby, might just be me, but Shalaluya's voice sounds like a watered-down mid-Atlantic accent. So if watching a much sexier William F. Buckley play a video game for hours is your bag, Godspeed. I think it's just you, Blairsby, considering that Shalaluya is making a living Twitch streaming and doing spicy voice acting online. I think he's a lot of people's bag. And I wouldn't describe him as much sexier than William F. Buckley. That is a low bar. I would describe him as much, 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 much sexier, sexier times infinity than William F. Buckley, who is also, it should be noted, dead. Says healthcare is a human right. Healthcare worker from Australia here regarding the young trans person in New Zealand. For me, self-harm in a young queer person is a huge red flag and calls for structured support. Australia and New Zealand have relatively comprehensive mental and physical health care for young, queer, and trans people, mostly free under universal health care. Ugh, universal health care, I wish we had it. Healthcare as a Human Right provides links to services for queer youth in Australia and New Zealand, and you can find those in the thread at savage.love. For more listener comments, for more of my responses, check out Struggle Session posted Thursdays at savage.love, where I respond at length sometimes to comments, emails, and DMs. It's another perk for Magnum subs. For all the perks, become one of my subs today at savage.love. And now, listener response calls. This is a response call for the graduate student whose boyfriend wanted her to help pay for renovations on the house he was essentially gifted for free. We are living in a moment where income inequality is at its greatest disparity in decades. We are living through a moment when it is impossible to look around without seeing evidence of how out of whack the housing market is relative to actual wages. We are living in the midst of the biggest moment for labor organizing in my lifetime. It should be impossible to not see all this happening in front of us in real time. But this boyfriend, he seems to have missed the memo. He is treating the caller like an asset to be managed along with the business and his trust fund and the rest of his portfolio. When you are wealthy, you don't do the work. You just tell people what to do and then you find the cheapest way to pay for that work. Caller, I'm sure he's nice to you or whatever. But either he's a man-child who doesn't have the empathy and self-awareness to recognize his immense privilege and wildly inappropriate expectations for you, or he doesn't respect you enough to care about those things. Either way, I think you need to have a chat with him about why you will not be paying for the privilege of being his house manager on top of your graduate studies. 
And by the way, you better believe it'll be you who will be doing the cleaning in that house for him because you know he won't. And if he won't pay for someone to manage his house renovation, he's definitely not paying for cleaners. Hi, I'm calling in response to the caller with the 15-year-old trans sister who is on Grinder. It's amazing that your parents are accepting and they sound like great parents, but kids need boundaries. Teenagers need boundaries. Being strict about certain things doesn't always mean abuse and yelling and shitty parenting. Being strict can also mean caring. And in my opinion, parents who have no boundaries and allow total freedom, to me, it's kind of a form of neglect. I know that sounds harsh, but even good parents can make bad choices. This is a call in response to episode 877 uh, to the woman who had the man leave abruptly after sex. I want to preface this by saying that I think your feelings are totally valid and I think that you are not overreacting at all. However, men just want sex sometimes and some men are really, really douchey about it. And straight men don't have the option of grinder hookups and things that queer men do. So a lot of straight men might develop tricks and schemes to develop trust with women so that they can get sex, and then once they have the sex, it's kind of mission accomplished. I'm not saying that's exactly what this guy was doing, but it's the first thing that came to my mind when I heard the call. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan right now while that question is fresh in your mind and record it. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love or call us and leave us a message at 206-302-2064. Also, check out Hump's brand new streaming library for the first time ever. Hump lineups past and present are available to stream online, including the past three years of Hump Flicks, five volumes of Hump's greatest hits, and our brand new Hump hardcore lineup at humpfilmfest.com to start streaming today. Also go to humpfilmfest.com to find out when Hump is playing in a theater near you. And while you're on the website, be sure to click on submit to find out how you can get your film into the Hump Film Festival. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me on Blue Sky at Dan Savage. Follow me on yeah that other one at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Jill Filipovich on Twitter and Instagram at Jill Filipovich. That's J-I-L-L-F-I-L-I-P-O-B-I-C. And you can also follow her. You should be following her and reading her on Substack at jill.substack.com. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hertunian and me and Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.